thank you, God, for Christmas. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the hope that exists in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I praise your name, God, because you decided to come and be a man so that each and every one of us could be perfect like your son, but only through his sacrifice, only through his way, God, all according to your time and your plan as you have all, you have orchestrated it for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years that we can't even wrap our minds around. God, we pray, God, constantly for your glory, for your glory to be seen in each and every one of us. We pray constantly for your glory to be seen in this place. We, we praise your name so that you can receive glory. It's all about your glory, Father, and I pray right now that you receive glory from this message because it is all about you and what you did and how you put it all together and how there was no other explanation than it had to be God. There's no other explanation than it, it had to be the one almighty, all-knowing God that orchestrated every single thing that had to do with your son coming to this earth. So, Lord, we pray that you receive glory from this message. We pray that you receive glory from the change that happens in our lives through the precious word that you've given us and through the work of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you receive glory. Father, thank you, God, for this time and for this precious word. May we take it so seriously right now. God, in this Christmas season, so many people are overlooking the most important thing, which is your word that tells us how you came and what you did and how you put it all together. God, I pray that people this Christmas, God, they take a deeper look into your word and see your glory. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So in case you haven't noticed, uh, the title of this series will be Glory. We talk a lot about God's glory. We pray a lot about God's glory. We, we pray a lot about God receiving glory because we do. We indeed want God to be glorified in this place. That is why we exist, is to glorify God. Uh, our deeds... The things that we do day in and day out, and I'm not just talking about Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm talking about the things that you do every single day of your life should glorify our Father who is in heaven. Uh, that, that has been on my mind for the past few weeks, and I cannot help but to think about that as Christmas rolls around and you see people coming to church maybe for the first time in quite a while, I pray I pray that they would get a taste of God's goodness and his glory and they would latch on to that. That it would not just be a once in a while kind of thing for them, but it would be an eternal kind of thing for them where they pray that their lives would bring glory to an almighty God. That, that, that not just coming to church when, when it's close to Christmas time or close to Easter would bring him glory, but when, when every single day of our life, when we take every single breath in our life, that it would bring him glory because people are able to look at us and they're able to see God. They're able to see God at work. They're able to see life change that happens all for his glory. And, and, and we talk about glory a lot, especially when it comes Christmas time, right? Glory to God. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, to whom he has shown his favor. Glory. I mean, it's a word that we, we throw out there a lot. But I think if we were to recognize how glorious God is, we would definitely bring him more glory. We would definitely say, 
Yes, indeed, God is glorious. He is almighty. He is the ruler and reigner of this world and of all of eternity. And we so desperately want to bring him glory by the actions in our lives. But we got to recognize who God is in order to be able to do that. We, we got to recognize who he is in the person of Jesus Christ as he brought himself to this earth for the purposes of saving every single person in this room and every single person in this world. I, I think if we take a deeper look at that, you will be able to see how glorious God is. And you'll be more inclined every single day of your life as you think back to these things, maybe that you read from God's word, you'll be like, man, I want to bring God glory. I can bring God glory. How can I do that? What things can I do in my life? How can I pray? What ways can I serve God in order to bring him glory? Because I think when you just get a taste of how God had put everything together, especially when it's in the person of Jesus Christ, how he has, he has put things together in such a way that it couldn't have been any other coincidence. It had to be God. It could not have been an accident. It could not have been just a happenstance that things worked out the way that they did. I wish, I really wish that I had... It would probably take, honestly, about a year for us to cover all the different things that all the different people said about God coming as the Messiah. And you would see all the different things that had to line up just so and, and just perfectly so that, so that it would all align with the person of Jesus Christ. But what we're going to do is we're just going to take a snippet of it. And, and we're going to let you see just a little taste of God's glory. The reason we're doing that is so that you will dig deeper and you will find God's glory in his word for yourself. A lot of people know the Christmas story. They, they, they know about Mary and Joseph and they, they know all of the little details about there was no room for them in the end and they had to go and, and, and find a place way outside of town and they, they, they laid Jesus in a manger, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. We all know those stories. But Matthew, in particular Matthew, his perspective on the Christmas story is to show you that he is king. Now, he is king. Matthew writes his gospel from the, from the perspective of, I want people to recognize when they read what I write, I want them to know that, that Jesus is king. Mark, Luke, John, they all write from a different perspective. Mark happens to write his from a perspective of, I want people to see Jesus as servant. Luke Son of man, John, son of God. But in particular today, we're going to focus on Matthew and the fact that he wants to show you that he is king, that Jesus Christ is king. And we're going to continue this next week, and I'm telling you, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I think it's going to be better next week than it is this week. I really do. Everybody's like, well, good, I'll just leave right now. I'll come back next week. Thank you very much, Kenny. It was been good. Uh, I really believe that once you see something here in God's word, you're going to be like, man, that was worth coming back for next week. I, I am so excited about next week. I, I can barely get through today's message for wanting to talk about next week. And I've got to skip over a chunk in here that I really want to talk about. And that's on me, but you're going to have to wait and come back next year. It's like a soap next week, not next year. You come back next year too, but next week also, all right? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, next year, yes, next week also. But anyway, so, uh, but I got to skip over a chunk right in the middle of, the, of my sermon so that I can, man, you, you just, just going to shake your, just going to shake you in your shoes, man. You're going to, it's going to knock your socks off, right? But today, we're, we're going to cover quite a bit of scripture and, 
and, and you'll have to hang with me a little bit. And, and I, I just, I, I pray that you just kind of can grasp this. I, I struggled, and, and, and people can tell you, I really struggled with this message because God has had it on my heart for a while. But having to get what's in here out here, sometimes that's tough. And I told some folks back there, and we were praying. I said, this is like a 10-week series, and i got to get it all in before Christmas. So it's all got to be mashed into one sermon. So, you know, you guys pray about that. Now, I'm not going to keep you here an hour and a half. Everybody's like, 10 sermons. That, that's not good, Kenny. That's not good at all. No, we're going we're gonna to cover it pretty quickly, and we're going to take the 30,000-foot view because there's a, there's a picture here that I want you to see. There's something very important that I want you to see in the person of Jesus Christ and, and what God was trying to show us through his word, and in particular this passage in Matthew chapter 2. So that's where we're going to be today. Let, let me st- back up a little bit in Matthew chapter 1 to tell you this. Matthew starts off his gospel account by giving you the lineage of Jesus. He says, for 14 generations before David, 14 generations after David, David was considered like the king. He brought brought everybody together, all of Israel together, and they were unified, one body, and everybody, they loved David. They loved King David. Now, King David wasn't a perfect man. We could probably spend quite a few weeks talking about David not being a perfect man. But David in Scripture is known as a man after God's own heart. And I believe, I believe when you look at Scripture, that's what you see David as. And, and David being the great king of Israel, I think Matthew wanted to show you, see, 14 generations before, 14 generations after, king. David, king. Jesus in the lineage of a king, which makes him a king. And it shows that it goes through all like so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so. You know, all those things that are in Matthew chapter 1. Well, basically what it says is this. It says that Joseph was in the lineage of David. Thus, Jesus was born into the lineage of a king. That's what he says. And, 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 and Matthew goes on and on. It says... Uh, all those listed above, I'm just reading this to you, it's not going to be up on the screen. All those listed above, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylon exile, and 14 from the Babylon exile to the Messiah. He's showing you that there is this continuous pattern that goes on and on and on, which shows that Jesus is king. And, and we all know the story of the virgin birth, but I want you to see something for just a minute. If we begin... In verse 22 of chapter 1. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, you can. It'll be up on the screen. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, says something here. And Matthew wants to point it out to us. Matthew says it's important for you to see this. It's important as you look at Jesus and who he is, and you try to understand that he's king, it's important for you to see this. All of this occurred to fulfill The Lord's message through his prophet. And he's talking about Isaiah. In verse 23 it says this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. Now Isaiah was a prophet. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And and the purpose of, of Isaiah's ministry, if you will was to show Israel that they needed to repent, that they were living in a state of sin, and that they were going to come under attack from an enemy, the Assyrians in particular. They were going to come under attack if they didn't repent and turn towards God. Now, that's a good message, right? Like, like, but I tell you what, if you tell everybody that they're going to fall under attack 
And they're going to suffer a lot of devastation if they don't repent and turn towards God. People don't really like you so much. And God even challenges Isaiah. He says, who is going to be there to tell them that they need to repent? Who is going to be there to tell them that they need to turn back towards me? And Isaiah says, send me. I'll go. Send me. I'll be the one that will go and I will tell them and I will do what you have commanded so that these people can know that you love them and you care for them. But if they don't listen to you, the consequences are going to be dire. And Isaiah even goes on to tell them about a future hope that exists in the person of Jesus Christ and the Messiah that is coming to save them. Now let me tell you something real quick. The Jews, the Israelites, didn't like the fact that the Romans had control of them when the time that, that Jesus was around. The time that Jesus came around, they didn't like the fact that the Romans, they were the ones taking their money. They were the ones that were in control of their towns. They were the ones kind of bossing them around telling them what they, what they were supposed to do. Well, nobody likes to be bossed around. The Israelites didn't like that either, especially considering that the Romans, they didn't worship the same God the Jews did. So they, 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 were, they were just in it for the money, right? They wanted the power and the reign and the control and the money, and the Jews didn't like that. Nobody really likes to be controlled, you know? You know, I know that because nobody likes their boss, you know? But you might like your boss to some degree, but in the back of your mind, you're going, well, they're still trying to control me, man. I don't know why they keep doing that. But anyway, so anyway, their, their boss, they're not really crazy about their boss, which is the Romans. Well, they think, well, you know what? If there is going to be a Savior to come, if there is somebody that is going to set us free again, then they got to take over the Romans. they got to destroy this Roman Empire. they got to get rid of the Romans. If they, if they really want us to be free and, and, and God has made this promise that, that he's going to take care of us, then he's got to get rid of the Romans. And Isaiah is telling them about a Messiah, a Savior to come one day. And in the back of their minds, they're constantly thinking, well, this is going to be somebody to, to wipe out the Roman Empire. It's going to be somebody to take over everything. Maybe a great military leader like Moses was, and maybe he's going to lead us out in a way, and they're going to, he's going to just do away with the Romans altogether. They were misled in their minds about what they thought a Savior really looked like, which you and I, on the flip side of it now, we can look back and say, this guy... Jesus, he didn't just come to set you free from the Romans. He came to set you free from sin and death and hell and all of the destruction that comes with those things. And, and like, Jesus didn't just come to save you from the Romans, man. That would be so short-sighted of God. God wanted to save not just the Jews, but he wanted to see, save everybody from their sins. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 2, that's exactly what it says. It says, Jesus is coming to save them from their sins. That is his purpose. The Romans weren't their biggest problem. Their sin was. Our biggest problem today in this world, by the way, is not our government or other governments or other military rulers or ISIS or anything like that. Our biggest problem in today and in America and in our homes, the problem is sin. That, that's our biggest problem. This other stuff... This other stuff is minuscule compared to sin. And everybody gets all fired up about everything else in the world, but very few people are getting fired up about sin. And let's, let's do something about sin in our households and in our families and in our government. Everybody wants to, you know why? Because sin makes us point the finger at us, right? Sin makes us have to deal in here. We don't really like dealing in here. We'd rather deal out there. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot easier to point out somebody else's sin. Yeah, you, you got a problem. You got a problem. Now we have a problem. And the problem is sin. And Jesus came to save us from that sin. And here the prophet Isaiah, he's talking and he says, 
look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. And what that means is God's going to be one of us. He's going to walk around on two legs, and he's going he's to eat, and he's going to drink, and he's going to commune with us, and he's going to be one of us. He's going to be one of us. And it's just, she, he's the only one that will ever be conceived of a, bir- a virgin. He's the only one that could ever be born that way. And he's talking about Jesus that will come one day. And Isaiah is telling the people, you got to repent or else you're going to suffer devastation. And he said, there's a future hope coming. And that is in the person of Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew says, Isaiah was talking about that. He said that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah said that this this Savior that was to come would be born of a virgin. Don't you see that that was Jesus? Don't you know that that's what Isaiah was talking about? This virgin that he was talking about was going to be Mary, and the person that was going to come as a result of that was going to be Jesus. And Matthew's going, don't you see? Don't you see? He says this was all done so they could fulfill prophecy. That was the purpose. For that purpose. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary, his wife, and he didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. You know why Joseph named him Jesus? Because the angel of the Lord told him to name him Jesus. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that had the lineage of David, the lineage of a king, because he was king. And look, look at this. It even gets, even gets more in-depth than that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, during the reign of King Herod, about the time... Some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? This is the part that I can't really talk about. This is the part that i got to wait till next week to talk about. So I encourage you to come back next week because this is really incredible. I couldn't fit this portion into the sermon because you guys have been here for two hours and I'd have had rocks and stones and stuff thrown at me. But anyway, so I'm going to skip over this portion, but listen to it. We'll come back to it next week. Everybody knows about the wise men, right? The Magi, you've heard of them, right? Well, wait till next week. You get to find out more about them. Arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? Uh, We saw a star as it rose. Everybody knows about the star of Bethlehem, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed. We heard this, and everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the uh, leading priests and the teachers and religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea. They said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, you, from you who will be, a sh- be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Everybody's like, well, that's good. Man, that's cool. Like, what is that? This other prophet, his name's Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is where this comes from. But it, I have to tell you kind of sort of what's going on in Micah. What's going on in Micah is there's some uh, corruption within the leadership, the Israel leadership. There, there's some corruption there, and, and Micah's upset about it, and he's talking about it, and he's, he's telling people about it. And, and it, this is also something that happens in, in 2 Samuel 5, too, as a matter of fact, where what he says is if there's somebody coming to set all this straight, there's somebody coming that's, that's going to make this thing work out, and he's going to come from Bethlehem. That's where he's going to come from. 
Now, in 2 Samuel 5, 2, what he's talking about, he's talking about David and the fact that even when Saul was king, David was really the one helping him defeat the enemy in the battle. That's what 2 Samuel 5, 2. But in Micah 5, 2, he's just reminding them of that fact and he's telling them that a, a great Savior one day will come as king because he will come from Bethlehem, the same place that David came from. You see all the connections here that God is trying to show us he is king. Matthew is trying to show us that, that this God that has been born to us is king. In Micah 5, 2, there's all this corruption in leadership, and, and, and Micah is, is preaching against and he's telling them, there is going to be somebody who's going to set all this straight. He's going to make it right one day. And you know where he's going to come from? He's going to come from this lowly, no good, nothing town called Bethlehem. It's not really anything of significance. It doesn't really matter in the whole scale of of Israel, but, but it's a little bitty town, and it's called Bethlehem, and it's going to be important. It's going to be important. And King Herod is going, well, we got to go to Bethlehem. we got to figure out this, this king that's going to be born. we got to figure out something about this king, because Herod, he, he, wanted to, he, he wanted to rule and reign over his people. He didn't want a king of the Jews to be born. He wanted to be in control, so he wanted to know where this baby was. Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, the, the men from the east that had come, the magi, and he learned from them the time when the, first, the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. Then you will find him. Come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. He's trying to deceive the wise men and say, look, go tell me where this king of the Jews is being born so I can go and worship him too. These guys are wise men, so they aren't fooled by old King Herod. The wise, it says, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And they saw the star and they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Next week, next week, next week. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So God is protecting his son the wise men go another way. They don't go back to Herod. They don't go and tell him uh, that, that we found the, the child. We found the Messiah. We found the king of the Jews. They don't, they don't tell Herod that. They, they, don't, they don't tell him that. These are wise guys. They figured this out, right? And like, we're not going. You know, God is leading us a different way. We're going to follow God. We're not going back to tell Herod we know where the king of the Jews is. I apologize for having to skip over that once again, but it's going to be good. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. This is Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. What is, what is Hosea talking about when he's, 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 reminding, he's reminding the people there that, that at one point in time, the, the people of, of Israel were called out of Egypt. They were set free. They were, they were released from captivity by the Egyptians. After 400 years of captivity, they were set free, and he's reminding them of that. Now, if you remember what we talked about in Hosea, Hosea was married to a chick named Gomer. You remember her name? Everybody's like, yeah, I remember Gomer, right? Like You're like, you remember who was... Who was her dad? And we said that the reason that 
she was named that was because her dad was to blame. Do you remember that? Some people are like chuckling. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so, so Hosea marries Gomer, and she's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. God calls Hosea. He says, what you're going to do in your life is you're going to physically represent my love for my people. And you're going to go and you're going you're gonna to marry a prostitute. And not only that, not only did he marry a prostitute, but as a matter of fact, she continued in the path of prostitution and even had a child through prostitution. And God says, Hosea, you're going to buy her back. She was already your wife. She already belonged to you. But you know what? She's been sold into sexual slavery, and you're going to pay the price for whatever it costs to get her back. We talked about this several months ago, and and that's the same price God paid for you. And he paid that price in the form of his son. And I believe that Jesus Christ is is a representation of that payment. And I believe that, that Matthew is trying to show us. He's like, will you please understand? Will you please understand that that God has bought you with a price, his son Jesus Christ, and he wants you to know how precious his son was to him. And the fact that a king had died for you in your lowly state where you are, a king had died for you. And, And here we see Hosea. Hosea reminded of the children of Israel coming out of out of Egypt, just like he had called Jesus to come out of Egypt. When Herod was dead because he knew he was safe then, God knew what he was doing. Each and every single one of these times where something happened and the prophets were talking about this stuff, they were trying to show you that something's going to happen one day where all of this is going to make sense. All of this is going to come together and fit in a nice, neat picture, and all the puzzle pieces are going to fit together, and you're going to see the bigger picture now. And this is what is happening when Jesus comes to the earth. And he goes on. We, We... We get to the best part. We get to to one of the the best parts here. And this is kind of overwhelming to me. There's a dark side to Christmas, okay? There's a side that's not so pretty. We're going to read about that dark side of Christmas. But we're also going to recognize that it has a purpose. It has a purpose. Beginning in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, it says this, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. This is in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. Everybody's like, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what what Jeremiah was talking about here. I'd like to explain this to you, and I'd like for you to see the picture of what is going on here. Rachel had sons, and their lineage represented both the kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdom. Of Israel, So it recognizes that this is, this is all the people of Israel. Rachel died in the middle of giving birth to Benjamin. You can find this in Genesis chapter 35 verse 19. You can actually find where she died as a result of this painful delivery that she went through with Benjamin. This represents all of Israel and the fact that, that they're, they're in need of something here. Rachel is mourning and weeping 
as the prophet Jeremiah has pointed out here, because why? Because why? It says because her children are dead. What is he talking about there? Her children are dead. Here's what's going on. You remember Matthew, he pointed out that, that there was 14 generations up into King David, 14 generations up into the exile of Babylon, 14 generations up into the Messiah uh, of Jesus, uh, that is Jesus, right? This Babylonian captivity represents something here, and, and he wants to show us this. That's what Matthew is trying to get us to understand right here. See, Re Rachel represents her mourning and weeping over all of Israel. Why is she mourning and weeping? It's, it's because Israel is taken back into captivity by the Babylonians. By the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is trying to, to show them this. That, that she's weeping and mourning over the fact that they're taken back into captivity. He's talking about the fact that also the mothers in a place called Bethlehem are weeping and mourning over the fact that their children are dead. The fact that the boys two years old and, and younger are dead. That they, they have been killed at the hands of Herod. They've been killed by, by Herod's sword. And he's trying to show them that there's a connection here between what Herod did and what Nebuchadnezzar did when he came in and took them into captivity once again to drag them back to Babylon. And he's trying to show us this. He's trying to show that the, the weeping that Rachel had for her future generations that were going to be all of Israel, it's the same kind of weeping that was happening in Bethlehem when all the sons were dead. See, it, it, the, the sons of, of Rachel, they were dead because they were taken away. They were brought into spiritual bondage because they were taken away from the place that they loved, the place that God had promised them. And that's the reason they were seen as being dead. And Rachel was weeping over that for future generations. And here, we've got mothers in this day, in this time, when Jesus is born weeping because their children have died. Because Herod has killed their young boys in searching for Jesus. But here's what he says. Here's what, can I summarize Jeremiah 31 for you? Can, can I tell you what, what, what God shows Jeremiah and what God is showing uh, the the, the the women that have lost their children, their young boys in Bethlehem. Can I, can I tell you what God is showing us? And by, by, by the way, Rachel is, is buried. Her tomb is just right outside a place you may have heard before. It's called Bethlehem. She was on her way to Bethlehem when she gave birth to Benjamin. God is, is trying so desperately to show us something here. What, what, what is God trying to show us? In Jeremiah chapter 1, chapter 31, this is what it says. He says, wipe away your tears. Wipe away your sadness. There's one that is coming out of Egypt, and he's going to set everything right. All your mourning and all your weeping, I know that you think it's falling on barren land, and you're not able to see that there's something else going on here, but wipe away your tears, be comforted, have peace, have joy. In fact, know that the glory of God is reigning and ruling because there's one coming out of Egypt. And his name is Jesus Christ. The same thing that is happening in your life in this moment in time is that God is showing you that in spite of the fact that you may have turned your back on him and, and may live in sin and, and be unrepentant, 
That, that, that just like the prophet Isaiah said, you need to turn back towards God or there's devastation and destruction that is coming. He said, but there is hope. There is hope. And the prophet Micah, he, he reminds us that, that there, is, there is a shepherd coming one day. My shepherd, he will shepherd my people of Israel. He will shepherd all of us that, that the Messiah is coming. That hope is coming. That, that's what 2 Samuel 5, 2 represents the fact that, that even though Saul may not be knowing what he's doing right now, and he's the king, that, that there is one that is coming and his name is David. There's a king that is coming. Over and over again, the message of these prophets is to show us over and over again, hang on, just wait, the king is coming. The reason, the reason he was born in Bethlehem, the reason the prophets knew that he'd be born in Bethlehem is because that's where a king's lineage is going to come from. That's where David came from. That's where this king will come from. Over and over and over and over again. The prophets and what Matthew is trying to say to you is no matter where you are in your place, no matter what trials you have endured, maybe you've lost a son or lost a daughter and you think it's all for naught. Or maybe there's trials or calamity that has come into your life and you don't know what's going on and you don't, you don't see the bigger picture. Recognize that from the Gospels what we see is Matthew telling us the king is coming. There is a king that will come and he will take your place on a cross that you deserve. And he will be the one that will take your place when you should have been beaten and you should have been bruised. And you should have been the one hanging on that cross. There is one word that describes what Matthew is trying to tell us here. And it is hope. It is hope. For all the women of Bethlehem where their children had died, there's hope. For the, for the people of Israel who had turned their backs on God and, and, and needed to repent, or else there would be devastation that would come into their life, there is hope. For those of us who have prostituted ourselves out against God and gone and lived in prostitution against God's will, God's way, that there is hope. God is constantly showing you there is hope and there is hope in this one who will be king. And his name is Jesus. I think Matthew had to take us through all these things. I think he had to let us see. He had to let us see this bigger picture. If we're truly going to give God glory, then we have to recognize that God came in the person of Jesus Christ to give us one thing, and that was hope. The hope that exists in Jesus Christ cannot be matched by anything on this earth, anything in this world. It can only be matched by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross for you and I. A king that paid the price for all of the lowly servants. All the ones that had turned their backs on them. All the ones that, that had prostituted themselves out against him. The king is coming to die for them. Rachel's tears. He, he comforts her in, in Jeremiah chapter 31. He comforts her and says, you know what? I know you don't see it, but wipe, wipe away the tears. Maybe I should just read this to you in Jeremiah chapter 31. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Ramah, by the way, is the place where they were all, all gathered before they were taken into Babylonian captivity. They were all gathered and put into chains and bondage at Ramah. It says, but now... This is what the Lord says, do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, he says. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future. God has seen your tears. 
He knows your struggles. He knows the, the times you've turned your back on him. And he still came in the form of the person of Jesus Christ for you and for me. That's the message of Matthew chapter 2. I know there are people here. Maybe you've turned your back on God. Maybe the only time that you really turn towards God is, is at Christmas time or Easter time. God died for you in the person of Jesus Christ for the purpose of hope. For the people that have prostituted themselves out to sin after sin after sin after sin, God has paid a price for you in the person of Jesus Christ for the purposes of hope. For the people that have endured difficult things, trials, troubles, things that cause you to weep and mourn. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost somebody you love. And you think, well, what good is all this? What good is it to come to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night? What purpose does it serve? The purpose is for hope. I hope that you will recognize that this morning. I hope that God has spoken that into your heart. And I hope that when you go out of this place, you will recognize that for God to receive glory in your life, you have to latch on to one word, and that is hope. Hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for me. No matter what we've done or where we've been, there is hope. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God. Lord, for these prophets that spoke the truth to us. Thank you, Father, for Matthew, who has reminded us, Lord, of the hope that exists in the person of Jesus Christ, who was king, who followed the lineage of a king. And he was king of this world, and Lord, he, he is king in heaven and on earth. I just pray right now that people would recognize the sacrifice that was made through that king. I, would I pray that they recognize the hope that exists in him and through his sacrifice. Lord, there are people, especially during the holiday season, Lord, this time of year when they're struggling and with doubt and, and with pain and all of those sort of things, God, I pray that, that this Christmas they would recognize that there is hope for them. So many times we remember the loved ones that, that we love so dearly. And maybe we lost them to, to, to death. God, because of the hope that exists in Jesus Christ, there is hope for those that we will see them again. Or maybe there are tears that need to be shed in this place. Maybe there, there is healing that needs to happen. I pray that that all happens, Lord, because you have given us hope. So Lord, be glorified in this time as we praise your name, as we seek your face. God, as you continue to pour truth into our lives, I pray that we would just sing for your glory because of the hope that exists in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?